all the latest business news from WA. Mark my words, your weekly news briefing. Hello and welcome to Mark My Words, the first edition for 2024, so welcome to all the listeners out there. I'm Mark Bayer. My normal colleague, Mark Pownell, is still on holidays, so I'm joined today by Jack McGinn. Stepping in. Okay, good to have you, Jack. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. So we'll be covering all the big stories this week affecting business in Western Australia, including big losses for private companies BGC and Harvest Road, In the housing market, there's a new loan scheme for struggling builders and Perth's soaring house prices. In mining, Rio Tinto's royalties dispute and core lithium halting production. Some big changes at Satterley Property Group and LWP. And the battle for Liberal Party pre-selection in Cottesloe, heating up. So a lot to cover there. Uh, Firstly, Jack, I'll throw to you, BGC big building and construction company, reported another large loss. It was a third consecutive loss for BGC of $64 million. So that's coming off a $41.6 million loss last year and a $3.3 million loss a year earlier. So not good results there for BGC. Uh, gross profit was down $40 million at $53 million. Um, there's been a series of commercial disputes. Uh, there's a $700 million bill for faulty pipe replacement in 10,000 builds. Well, um, p- potential. Potential. Bill. A potential bill. So that's sort of floating around in, in the background there. Um, revenue was actually up uh, at $914 million from a restated figure for 2022, financial year 2022 of $881 million. But in the uh, results last year, that figure was previously stated at $1.01 billion. So, yeah, an interesting one. What did you make of it? Yeah. Look, historically, BGC has been the largest private company in Western Australia, mm. or had been for a long period of time. It's now been overwhelmed by Gina Reinhardt's companies and a bunch of other operations. So their revenue used to be around about $3 billion a year. Wow. So yeah. they're about a third of that level. Uh, their commercial construction has shrunk enormously from what it used to be. Um, their residential building, um, you know, famously, they stopped construction of new homes or sales of new homes, rather, last year to try and finish off the backlog of homes they've already got. And they focus more and more on their manufacturing operations. So, you know, all the building materials that they produce, including bricks and such. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you should mention the brick production uh, because the results also revealed um, that its subsidiary Midland Brick is actually um, facing some allegations of predatory pricing from some of its competitors. Yeah, no, look, I saw that. Brickworks, that's an ASX company. Um, they, They were really the only competition for BGC in brick supply in WA. Uh, they've moved out of the WA market after incurring losses year after year. Interesting to see how that legal action pans out. I suppose in terms of the the continued shrinkage of BGC, mm. um, you know, they've sold off their fibre cement and plasterboard businesses and their precast business, which is why there was that restating of the revenue from the prior financial year. Yep. Um, so they've still got a lot of money coming into the business. A lot of that is going out to the Buckeridge family shareholders. Uh, they've had big dividends over the years, despite this very poor financial performance. 
And then in the backdrop again, you know, the, the family wants to sell the business. You know, they've got in some top advisors from Macquarie Capital, um, but twice they've had to withdraw the business from the market because they said, look, just not the right time. And these numbers bear that out. They certainly do. Uh, there's also that ongoing dispute with uh, Iris Residential over Shenton Quarter happening in the background and uh, a class action from customers who face building delays, um, which yep. is an interesting one and maybe leads in a little bit to an, uh, an announcement from the state government uh, uh, this week. Yeah, look, go ahead, Jack, and uh, tell us what the government's done to help out uh, people who've been, what, battling for years to get their houses completed. Yeah, that was this this new term that I heard uh, at the press conference this week. It was uh, stranded builds. So stranded builds are those um, which have been basically stuck in a bit of a limbo because they haven't been able to access the milestone payments to free up capital under the available to them under the from the lenders. So they've sort of reached this point where there's no more money available um, without completing the work, but they can't complete the work. So then the builders have moved on to new jobs. There's a number of these in Western Australia. The government says there's up to 600 of these in Western Australia that have sort of stuck dormant where building started more than two years ago. So what they've done is announced a new $10 million facility to try and free up these these stranded builds. They are going to provide up to $300,000 to builders um, on a 60k per build basis uh, in loans to help provide the capital to just get things flowing again and then sort of help them reach the milestones and, and get the get the builds done because as we know there's a lot of people started building a long time ago stuck in the rental market or maybe living with relatives and while they're in the rental market it makes the rental market tighter there's a lot of flow on effects from all of this yeah look i thought it was interesting the way the government structured this one mm-hmm. and look, you're quite right i mean there's been a huge issue where we've had this overheated housing market inflamed to a large degree by the COVID stimulus that was put in place about three years ago to save us from depression, uh, which, of course, then magnified the problems in a market, you know, in in an overheated economy, couldn't get workers, cost of everything went through the roof. A lot of building companies have gone bust already. Yes. So I note, too, that it's only available for, you have to be a solvent WA-based residential builder. Correct. And you must have been in business for more than four years Yes. So all the the uh, the operators that started up off the back of those COVID incentives will not be available to them. Not eligible. And yeah, look, you touch on the the COVID incentives. Uh, I believe it was more than nine hundred million across state and federal incentives that was handed out at the start of twenty twenty to stimulate um, a building market that ultimately didn't sort of go the way people thought it was going to go. Uh, that came up a lot. In the press conference, there was a real, um, a real messaging around it being controlled and measured support about it being managed and uh, really looking to not overheat the market again um, because of what happened back in 2020. Um, and there was some acknowledgement that that really did disrupt the market. So, yeah, well, I suppose the real evidence for that was that both BGC and Dale Alcock's company, ABN Group, you know, they're the two really big home builders in Western Australia, and they both incurred big losses in the year to June 2022. Mm. Now, ABN Group has recovered from that, and they had a profit in FY23. Uh, BGC has obviously got some more substantial um, and variable issues that they're dealing with, um, hence they're still in the red. Um, but yeah, when your two biggest builders can't turn a profit, um, in a booming market, 
there's a real problem. It certainly is. Yep. Uh, speaking of booming markets, Perth house prices, uh, there's some new data out and house availability. What did you make of that? CoreLogic put out their monthly report early this week. Uh, Perth is leading the country in terms of house price growth, um, up 1.5% in the month of December and up 15% in the year wow. 2023. Huge. Uh, that's nearly double the average growth across the rest of the country. But the number that I found most startling, the core logic looks at the growth in house values since the onset of COVID. Western Australia, or Perth specifically, up 47%. 47% yep. since the onset of COVID. So, you know, we'd had a pretty long flat period prior to that. Yeah. Um, but gee, that's really amazing. Um, and it's been... Um, a, a more consistent, steady increase in Western Australia. Um, other markets like Sydney, Melbourne, Hobart in particular, uh, they had um, huge growth in 2021. Yeah, of course. Uh, most of them actually went backwards in 2022. Yep. And then they've had sort of a variable performance during 2023. Uh, Perth has sort of been more steady in its growth over that time. Uh, but gee, that's I mean that's boom time numbers, um, really quite phenomenal. Yeah, in- incredible numbers, and uh, and there was some data out from Rewa at the same time that showed uh, listings were hitting all time lows. So in December, the listings were forty nine percent lower than at the same than in the same month a year earlier. Yep. With houses selling on average in in ten days. That's yeah, like you say, some real boom time numbers. Yeah, um, I mean, I think those listings, so the total number of listings for sale in Perth at the end of December, only 3,600. Hmm. So when you've got listings that low and then you've got demand on the other side, very strong. And, you know, and the, all these things we've been discussing tie in together. You can't get a new house built, so therefore you go and try and buy an established house. Yeah. Um, if you're in the rental market, uh, you're facing increased rents if, in fact, you can get a property. So there's an incentive there as well to go out and buy something. So you've got security. Um, so, yeah, look, it's it's a real mess. Um, and it's going to take uh, a while yet, I think, to get the housing market back to some sort of normality. Uh, but in the meantime, if you're a homeowner, you're sitting on some very substantial capital gains, um, if you're trying to get into the market, it's a whole lot tougher. Yes, it's it's very much uh, a two-speed thing. Now, Mark, there was another story, just changing pace a little bit here, there was another story that came out this week, and I believe it was one that you've been chasing for quite some time, uh, around Rio Tinto and a uh, royalty payment of $125 million. What was the go there? Yeah, so look, Rio Tinto's been dealing with a whole range of issues around its relationship with Aboriginal groups. Um, obviously best known for the destruction of the Drukhan Gorge rock shelters, yep. uh, which you know had a huge impact across the entire mining industry, particularly up in the Pilbara. Um, and Rio was front and centre of that. And they've been trying ever since that happened, about three years ago, to improve their relationship with Aboriginal groups. And they're looking to update their land use agreements and so on. Uh, one group uh, is known as the Gumala Foundation. Mm. So they represent three, three Aboriginal uh, peoples in the Eastern Pilbara. Uh, they've had a long-standing agreement with Rio over the Yandi iron ore mine. 
Um, in fact, when this was signed about 26 years ago, it was the first agreement of this kind ever signed. And with benefit of hindsight, um, they would have done things very differently. The royalties that get paid to the Gumala Foundation are based on the amount of land that's disturbed, not the volume of production, right. not the value of production, but it's the amount of land disturbance. That's led to huge variability in the royalty payments yeah. to the Gumala Foundation. Uh, they've been trying to get this updated for years. In the process of those negotiations, Rio came back to them and said, uh, actually, there are some discrepancies in how much we've paid. They've admitted three years ago that there have been underpayments. Um, it's only just come to light through the Gumala Foundation's annual report uh, that Rio paid out $125 million wow. back in December 2022 yep. as a first step in trying <laughs> to resolve this issue. Now, we don't know for sure whether there will be more payments, but certainly reading the tea leaves, that would appear to be the likely outcome here. Um, so, you know, you know, annually the payments that the Gumala Foundation gets can be anywhere from $10 million up to about $35 million. You know, hence this volatility problem they have. Yeah. Um, but another 125 on top of that, with the possibility of more to come afterwards, you know, it's a major... Um, well, look, it's been a major screw-up by Rio yep. to have underpaid so much over a long period of time. But uh, like their relations with the, the PKKP peoples and others, they're doing their best to try and rectify the situation. Of course, yeah, it'll be one that I'm sure you'll keep an eye on with interest because I know you were chasing those numbers for a little while. Yes, I certainly have been chasing those numbers and I'll keep a close eye on how this one pans out. Uh, now, Jack, over to you and another industry, agribusiness. We had annual results out from Harvest Road, which is part of Andrew and Nicola Forrest's private business empire. It certainly is, and the results uh, were not too favourable. There was a $38 million loss within that business last year, um, last financial year, I should say. Uh, we actually had two sets of numbers that were released at the same time, so we got the previous year's annual, annual results as well. Uh, in the previous year, um, the business made a profit, and uh, but last financial year, it was way down. So Harvest Road owns uh, beef producers Harvey Beef and uh, Ernest Green and Sons and a seafood business Lewin Coast, the Okoya branding um, and, and uh, seafood within that. Um, its operating expenses ballooned um, from around $26 million to $59 million. Uh, revenue from contracts fell from almost $543 million to just over $420 million. So it was interesting that within that um, there was a significant fall from Australian revenue um, from contracts, so 361 million down to 191 million, and that was uh, actually partially offset by an uptick in contract sales abroad. The loss this year follows, like I said, a profit after tax of 5.1 million in the previous financial year, and it comes um, for a period that ended just before the departure of a former Harvest Road Chief Executive, Paul Slaughter. Yeah, look, like um, most private companies, there wasn't much commentary. In fact, there wasn't really any commentary that came with these numbers, Very which, which are lodged with ASIC. Uh, but I guess by I guess digging a little bit deeper, we can sort of distill a few trends here. Um, I mean, one, yeah, this is one of the major operating businesses within Tatarang, uh, which is the forest's uh, private um, holding company or mm. investment company. 
they've made big investments in Harvey um, Harvest Road. Uh, one, you know, creating this aquaculture business, Lewin Coast, from scratch effectively, um, and substantially expanding the Harvey beef business. They bought some big pastoral stations up in the Kimberley and the Pilbara. Uh, they've built a very substantial feedlot near Mora, and I know they've been expanding their abattoir operations near the town of Harvey, mm. so that whole vertically integrated model they're building. Um, and you can see the growth of the business on the balance sheet side. So value of their biological assets, just basically their livestock and their their oysters, I guess, um, over the past three years, gone from $25 million up to $86 million. Yeah. Uh, total assets, gone from about $300 million to $440 million. So they've been investing a lot, uh, but the bottom line, uh, lots of uh, red ink there, so not very impressive. And also you mentioned the departure of Paul Slaughter. Also interesting just to look at the shift in director positions, which also highlights the turnover they've had there. Mm. Andrew Hager, Bree Fraser, Stephen Daly, they've all departed as directors um, over the, in this reporting period. Only two directors left, Nicola Forrest and John Hartman. So that's sort of another little pointer to one of the uh, trends that we've been reporting on in the Forest Empire. Of course, yeah, there was that spate of departures uh, last year. Uh, lithium. Lots going on in lithium. Uh, the One of the big pieces of news this week was that Core Lithium, a Perth-based company with a mining operation in the Northern Territory, has decided to halt their Finnis mining operation. Price of... Uh, Lithium, or more precisely, spodumene concentrate, which is the key input, down 85% over the past year. Uh, that includes a fall of about 50% since the end of October. Wow. So, you know, if you go back um, over a number of years, you know, the lithium price has been extraordinarily volatile. Nobody was anticipating it would come off to that degree. Um, I guess, on the one hand, you've got all the producers going gangbusters to get more supply into the market. So big players like Pilbara Minerals and Talus and Lithium mm. keen to expand. Um, other ones like Liontown Resources building a big new mine. Um, and on the other side, demand for electric vehicles and the processing of lithium. You know, it's a fairly immature market still. You know, it's still developing. Um, but we're going to see more volatility. Um, but no miners would be expecting this much volatility. Um, as for Core Lithium, uh, they've got a substantial stockpile, so they're saying that they'll be able to process that through their concentrator up until the middle of 2024, so they'll still have some cash flow coming in. Um, they've got a, they had a growth project, BP33, but they've already stopped construction work on that yeah. last month. Um, so it's really battening down the hatches and sort of making the most of the cash that they've got. And interesting to put this in a broader context... Uh, news at the very end of last year. So people that have been carefully watching the news might have heard this one previously, but um, Gina Reinhardt's company, Hancock Prospecting, has partnered with the Chilean lithium giant SQM um, for a joint takeover bid for Azure Minerals worth $1.7 billion. Now, Azure has a very promising project up in the Pilbara, so I guess this is a sign where if you've got deep pockets and you're taking a very long view on the industry, you're still seeing all this upside. Um, but in the meantime, if you're a producer, things are tough. 
Yeah, it's a really interesting one for the uh, for the longer term view, and it comes in the same week as Cali uh, Metals, which is a new ASX Lithium players is preparing to list. Um, so that's a spin out from Kalamazoo and Karora Resources, and it's got some pretty high profile interest. Yep. So look, talk is. Chris Ellison, Tim Roberts, Rod Jones are some of the people that have tipped money into Cali Metals. Um, apparently the um, offer under the IPO closed in about 20 minutes. Yeah, wow. Um, so, you know, a red-hot market. And, and look, why not? When you look at companies like Wildcat Resources, Perth Explorer, their share price last year went from $0.02 cents up to about $0.90. Cents. Now, they've come off a bit. Yeah. But... That's just amazing growth. So that's obviously all the punters getting into Kelly are hoping for something similar like that. Yeah, it'll be one to watch. And I believe they've got some uh, projects up in the Pilbara as well as a few over east. But uh, sounded like uh, that Pilbara presence um, was the key there. So uh, Satterley Property Group has absorbed LWP. What can you tell me about that? Yep. Now, look, yeah, our final two items today, both with a property flavour. So, look, Satterley Property Group, um, headed up by Nigel Satterley, has for a long time been the largest land developer in Western Australia. Um, they've now extended their dominance of the market here. Well, maybe dominance isn't the right word. Um, they are now going to deliver all of LWP's projects in Western Australia. Oh. Um, LWP, best known as the company behind Ellenbrook. Uh, that was their signature project, but they've got several other developments around you know, Yanship, Southern River, Byford, Forestdale. So if you combine them with Sadley's existing portfolio, they're saying they've got about 40% of the Western Australian land market. Wow. Um, so that's um, a very big market share. Uh, the other really interesting change that's come through here, Brendan Ocott, who previously headed up LWP, he's now managing director of Sadley Property Group. Um, now, just to be clear, uh, this change happened last year, um, but it's really, I guess, been highlighted. We've got our book of lists coming up uh, this month. Um, lots of fabulous data in there. And Certainly one is. of the lists is land developers. And this transaction has really highlighted um, that dominance of Satterley Property Group in this market. Uh, Nigel Satterley, I should emphasise, still there, founder and chief executive so okay. Ni- Nigel's not going away just yet. No, Nigel's um, still but, involved. But a, a really major shift for um, a very substantial Western Australian business. And last item, Jack, I'll throw to you. Bit of a uh, bit of drama down in Cottesloe over Liberal Party pre-selection. Well, it depends who you speak to as to whether it was about Liberal Party pre-selection, but we certainly we picked up on some uh, curious social media posting um, from the incumbent MP, David Honey, um, one of the few Liberals currently in the Parliament. Uh, 15 months out from the election, um, a bit of a campaign on social media regarding density on the Cottesloe foreshore using uh, Honey... Uh, Honey for Cottesloe branding, uh, which I thought was a little curious so far out from the election, but against the context of what's happening around the Cottesloe seat and in the pre-selection battle, I think it makes quite a bit of sense. So, so, so the big candidate who's come up against, going up against him is Sandra Brewer. Sandra Brewer, who used to head up the property council, she has stepped aside from her responsibilities at the property council for this tilt, and she is pro-development. 
uh, as you would expect from someone who heads up the property council. So David Honey's posting was really around protecting the uh, the, the beauty of the current Cottesloe foreshore. It had some photoshopped uh, images of what Cottesloe might look like if it was developed, uh, should add generically developed. A very ugly Gold Coast style high-rise development. It certainly was, yeah. There were, uh, there were big buildings towering over the, the Indiana Tea House, which is obviously iconic and on the beach down there, which I don't think is necessarily what's actually planned in terms of development just yet for Cottesloe. Uh, but look, when something like this happens, uh, obviously it piques the interest of those that are watching keenly. There was a lot of replies in the in to the post alluding to the fact that it may have been a dig at Sandra Brewer. Um, so we contacted Sandra Brewer, Obviously, she couldn't comment uh, per party policy. Uh, we contacted David Honey, and he pointed out that his posts were directed at um, Labor's policymaking. So recently in planning reform, there's been some um, changes which take a bit of power away from local councils in terms of development approvals, uh, which David Honey has been vocally against the entire time. Uh, so he's told us, you know, he'll continue to um, pursue this campaign. It's something that's very important to him and uh, town of Cottesloe is also historically quite uh, avoidant when it comes to development around there too. Um, and Jack, when you looked at the social media uh, commentary, mm. what was the tone of them? Are they supportive or critical? The people in the comments uh, were pretty critical of uh, the resistance to development around Cottesloe, but I should add that most of the people in the comments seem to be in industries like planning or development uh, that would naturally be pro-development. So you do have to put a little asterisk aside that, uh, beside that rather, uh, but certainly the responses were uh, interesting and maybe even a little bit inflammatory. Well, look, uh, coastal development has been one of our uh, favourite topics on Mark My Words. Uh, I think both <laughs> myself and Mark Pownall have been um, keen supporters of sensible coastal development. And when I look at the projects that have gained approval in Cottesloe, they certainly fit that description. Um, but yeah, looks like we're going to have uh, some more lively discussion. I suspect there will be. Uh, we understand that former Town of Cottesloe Councillor Kirsty Barrett is weighing up a tilt, and as is Richard Evans, entertainment lawyer. It's interesting that there's so much interest in, in Cottesloe. Uh, I suppose it's an area that people are passionate about, but it's one of the few seats um, that the Liberal Party holds in WA at the moment. And when you took, look at the way that they've sort of spoken about uh, pre-selection and getting good candidates in different seats, it's interesting that there would be so much interest in a seat they actually still hold mm. on to watch. Okay. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate your wrap-up on that one. And thanks to all the listeners for joining us this week on Mark My Words. And we'll be back as usual next week as well. Thank you. The latest business news delivered daily. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For all the latest business news, visit businessnews.com.au.